This is The Cable. Big bid on 10-year treasuries over the last week. Is this just a political fight, some political theatre? A lot of people saying, no, thank you, step back. You're saying, get in, why? Your connection from the London market close to the US market action. It is too easy just to blame Brexit. Surely it can't be anything means bye, bye, bye. The Cable. An historic moment from which there can be no turning back. With Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. Programming resumes. Good afternoon, good afternoon to the City of London. I'm Jonathan Farrow. You are listening to The Cable live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. At the close this Thursday, the FTSE 100 softer by four-tenths of one percent. Some strength across the continent with the DAX up by a third. The story for the FTSE, I guess maybe some of it can be found in the FX market. Cable having a late rally into uh, the latest stage of the session over in the UK and beyond. 134.30 is how the cable rate trades. We're up about a third of 1%. In the FX market more broadly, earlier today when I first sat down at the Bloomberg, it was a story of dollar strength, and I can tell you it still is. Sterling's the exception to the rule in G10, the only outperformer against the US dollar, against the majors today. The story elsewhere in the bond market, yesterday just phenomenal flattening of the yield curve. Twos, tens, testing 50 basis points seemingly at one point yesterday. A bid on 10-year treasuries again. We're down a single basis point, and two-year yields up barely a single basis point at the front end. All of this ahead of payrolls Friday. And to wrap things up for you, in the commodity market, we've been bleeding a little bit in commodities, red across base metals and crude here and there over the last couple of days. Today, a bit of a comeback on Brent, up by almost 1.5% at $62, a 56 handle on WTI at 56.64, up by 1.22%. So that's a wrap, a feel of the uh, market action. Let's get you up to speed on some top stories, shall we, and say hello to Bloomberg's Charlie Cohen. And I thank you very much, Jonathan Farrow. I did not hear you use the word Bitcoin. Is that a topic you're going to be talking about? you got to talk about it Charlie, today. I'm going to get to it in a moment but it's not part of my regular check because as far as i'm concerned it is not an asset i care about yet all right it's a topic though you can't ignore here's why bitcoin touching sixteen thousand dollars for the first time today the world's biggest cryptocurrency surging on expectations that new derivatives products that begin trading this month will boost mainstream demand ryanair holdings threatening to freeze benefits for pilots in dublin and move aircraft to other irish airports if staff go on strike according to the chief people officer the discount carrier will scrap promotions, halt transfer requests, and cut back recently granted spending allowances uh, of up to almost $19,000 per pilot. Spokesman was not immediately available to comment. And President Trump meets today with congressional leaders from both parties to negotiate a long-term budget deal. Congress is preparing to vote on a short-term measure that would avert a U.S. government shutdown on Saturday. Latest from the news desk, Jonathan Farrow, back to you. So we're going to do it, okay? We're going to talk about it. Bitcoin on the Bloomberg is north of 15,000. It was north of 16, approaching 17. But as I understand it, Cameron, on Coinbase, are we through 19,000 on Coinbase? I have no idea. Something I... like that. Paul Dobson over in London, have you been following this? Uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's all noise, Jonathan. I haven't been paying it a great deal of attention. Good for you. I'm so proud of you both. Thank you. You know, I just think it's a ridiculous thing, but it's become a bit of a pastime for so many people. They just look at the chart and watch it go up. Well, it it remind. I wrote a little blurb today. Um, we on our team uh, are surveying the Bloomberg terminal users on their estimates for a number of key prices at the end of next year. Yeah. And somewhat distressingly, there's been way more guesses for Bitcoin than anything <laughs> else, which 
you know, if you use that as sort of a gauge well, it of interest, it doesn't take analysis, does it? No, I mean, well, it's it's a little depressing. It it feels like it's kind of it's the equivalent of on the nightly news leading with sort of Harry Potter plot lines rather than actual real world events because you're sort of you're you know, you're just in fantasy land. Can I use that on air tomorrow, please? Thank you. I think that's a really, really good way of putting it. It is kind of depressing. So we'll move on to something equally as depressing, shall we? Brexit talks. Oh, I thought you were going to say West Ham there for no, a second. No, we're going to do that after the weekend's action. <laughs> Who are you playing? Oh, uh, Chelsea. Chelsea. So we're so, definitely going to do yeah. that next week. Okay. Um, Brexit talks. Prime Minister May has a week at most to come up with concessions so that deadlock Brexit talks can finally move on. Solving the Irish border question is now the last hurdle in the way of trade talks. According to two people familiar with the matter, a deal on a future role for the European Court of Justice in British legal cases was reached. Irish Minister Simon Covini told lawmakers in Dublin today that the government wants to build to build a relationship with the UK, of course, and wants to be helpful, but will not budge on the issue of a hard border. The UK continues to push back against the timetable set by the EU, which had said this week was the deadline of deadline. So the UK government working towards a December 14th headline, deadline instead. I mean, Paul, I'm sick to death of this. Deadlines, <laughs> uh, I mean, let's get real. This feels like Greece all over again. This is Greece. This is Greece all over again. They tell us there's one deadline. We blast through it. There's another one. We blast through it. And there's an exception to this. There's a difference. The market doesn't care. Yeah, well, you know, I don't, don't know about don't care. I mean, realised volatility and uh, implied volatility for sterling let, let is me, rising. Let me refine what I said. Yeah. Everything <laughs> outside of sterling crosses doesn't care. <laughs> All right, yes. Glo- globally, yes, the implications are pretty limited. Actually, I was trying to look at the correlation between the pound and European stocks today, see if it actually does matter at all, And because I noticed that they've been moving a little bit more in sync over the last few days. I don't really think so, though. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm looking for something that's not really there, just because I want to have something interesting to say about this subject and like you say Jonathan I'm pretty fed up of it as well I sent an email to my manager I don't think she was delighted to get it but yesterday in reply to one of her Brexit emails saying frankly I'm tuning out of it a little bit it's so <laughs> much noise and back and forth but I'm glad that Cameron did uh, put a plug already in for our uh, surveys about the MLive blog, which are go. available on the terminal, WHISGO. Included in that, there's a survey for Euro Pound, which is basically, you know, kind of a, a, a referendum on how you think the Brexit negotiations are going to go. Uh, out of the 40-odd um, contributions we've had so far, it seems like there must be a pretty even split because the average number that we're getting is 88 pence per euro, which is exactly where we are right now. Interesting. I would just say that I think this is one of those stories that the media obsesses over, but that the people themselves on Wall Street and the Square Mile across Europe, perhaps less so across Europe and on Wall Street, maybe more so in the Square Mile, they care about it because their livelihoods essentially matter here. What happens with banks matters here. But for markets in general, Cameron, nobody cares well, if you're a U.S. equity trader and you're positioned in Apple, why do you, you know, why should you care? So you tell what was everyone thinking June 23rd when we had the vote, and then after the vote, markets fell out of bed as if this was the worst thing that ever happened. But that's what markets do. Markets always overreact to political developments, uh, and then eventually some sort of sanity returns. Um, it's there. The history of financial markets is so replete with overreactions 
to political developments that it's you know it's not even worth sort of mentioning. I mean, look at look at what happened when Trump was elected. Yeah, you know, S and P futures were sort of limit down, and then then Carl know, Icahn a, left the party. Yeah, ex exactly. <laughs> you know, uh, ten thousand mine, please. <laughs> and next thing you know, it's uh, it's here we here, you know here we are. But the whole the whole. Oh, I sound. I hear. I hear the the telltale music that's telling me to shut that, up. That so means my, shut up. So my Tory party is actually West Ham, and vice versa. <laughs> Analogy. We'll have to wait for a later okay, time. We can do that. Literally in two minutes time. Okay. Okay. All right. Paul Dobson, Cameron Christ, sticking with me. Next up on the program, the one thing that matters to Brits who are along the housing market. House prices are rising for a fifth month in November. Who would have thought? That's next. This is Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. Good afternoon, good afternoon to the City of London. I'm Jonathan Farrow. You're listening to The Cable live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. So the analogy, let's have it. As you probably recall, the Tories swept in uh, to a surprise majority yeah. in May of 2015. Maybe six weeks later, West Ham signed a player that I'd never heard of. By the name of Dimitri Payet, and for the Great next trade. for the next year, everything went swimmingly for both the Tories and the Hammers. Oh, and now I see where you're going. Yes, and then in the summer of 2016, there was a little thing called the Brexit referendum uh -huh. in the UK, and a little thing called Euro 2016 in France. Uh, and Mr. Payet had his head turned, and. The uh, UK government, the Tories, had the apple cart turned, if you will, by the by the vote. And they did. since then, it's on both sides, both the government uh, and the Tories, uh, given the snap election and the yeah. result. And the hammers have been what I think in the technical UK term is an omnishambles. Positively correlated. Indeed. Indeed. Ca I mean, I, I, I listened to David Davis say that contrary to his prior... Uh, assertion that there hasn't been any work done on the impact of Brexit on the UK economy sector by sector. And I, yeah. I, it reminds me a lot of uh, the West Ham defense. Is David Davis a, um, a West Ham supporter? Uh, I can't believe he is. Um, but it, you know, morally, he, he probably should be. I, I think he is from East London, though. So he, he might be. Who knows? I, 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 I do not. Out of interest, what happened with Payet? Where is he? Well, he's at Marseille. So they signed him from Marseille, and then um, they sold him back to Marseille for like, you know, in fairness, a 15 million pound profit in sort of whatever it was, 15 months or 18 months. There are some allegations of what happened behind the scenes that I'm not going to repeat on radio lest I fall victim to uh, some of the libel laws in, uh, okay. in or slander or whatever in, uh, in the UK. But there are some... Allegations, shall we say, that that caused him to want to return to Marseille, ex post haste. I should correct myself. He was raised in southwest London. Southwest London. Who does that mean he supports? Palace. Palace, maybe. Oh, well, which or, or maybe would, Brentford. I, yeah, Brentford. I mean, I wouldn't wish Palace on anybody. I've got a no. friend who's a Palace. Would you wish anything. Palace on David Davis? <laughs> now, now that you mention it. <laughs> I like what we're doing here with Brexit yeah. and football. I have a good friend who's a Palace fan, and he's been wanting to set himself on fire for. <laughs> <laughs> Although I think Palace are now above the hammers in the table, so I maybe forget, I should I join forget him. who your team is, Dobson. Uh, my team is uh, the Liddy Whites from North London. Ah, Spurs. Yes. Yeah, that's going well. 
Well, going well know. if you're an Arsenal fan. <laughs> <laughs> We've got, got more Champions League qualification points in the group stages than any other team in Europe. Well done. In Where's a group with Real Madrid and Dortmund, so and it's not all bad. And but the injury it, to Toby Alderweireld is. Yeah, well, yeah, you know, well, <laughs> if we if we win it and Arsenal finish in fourth, then that would be a, a fun change. My producer is going to get really angry because I teased something and we've got a minute 30 left to talk about it. <laughs> UK house prices, can we do it really fast? They rose for a fifth month in November. Apparently this is all to do with supply. There's not much of it, Paul. This is well, not what many people expected house prices to do. No, no, you're right. And housing is a very important gauge of the economy and the economic sentiment. Um it's interesting if they're talking about supply. There's been a pretty big stream of alerts coming into my inbox from when we were last moving house of houses coming onto the market. So I wonder if the tax measures that the government announced as part of its budget is encouraging a little bit more liquidity. Uh, I can tell you, I was I was in the gym the other day and got an unsolicited call from a real estate agent who I'd never given my number to. Then I went to my little letterbox in my building and in this little letterbox was a... Uh, a letter from someone saying we are offering homes in your area and all of that blah makes you wonder how the housing market oh, is in on. new york is this, city is this in new york or this is new york yeah, this is new york yeah things, they're offering homes in uh, things, things in, soft. in central london that they would... aren't sending me little letters in my little letterbox in new york about homes in central london that would be it hasn't that, got that, that bad. would be newsworthy it hasn't got that bad yet paul dobson cameron christ sticking with me next up i promise we're going to talk the markets it's all about europe is it a buy europe story in 2017 goldman sachs weighing in that's next this is bloomberg radio this is the cable this is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. Good afternoon. Good afternoon to the City of London. I'm Jonathan Farrow. You are listening to The Cable live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. In the markets at the close, the FTSE 100 positive yesterday, negative today by four tenths of one percent. We are down by 27 points at the close across the continent. Firmer on the DAX, the active benchmark in Frankfurt, Germany. Up a third of 1%. Over in the United States, up about four tenths on the S&P. The Dow up by almost 100 points today. Bit of a rebound on the S&P 500 after a four-day slide. A relatively muted four-day slide that amounted to about seven tenths of 1%. No real drama there. The drama in the bond market is just a yield curve that's flat, flat, flat. Two tens approaching 50 basis points. We're down about a half of a basis point at 233 on a US 10-year. We are almost dead flat. On the front end, the two-year at 179.84 ahead of payrolls Friday. We talked a little bit before the commercial break about the year ahead. I said 2017. I meant 2018. I've got to get my head around that quickly. Thank you for correcting me, Cameron, in the commercial break. Um, I'm sure you enjoyed that. Um, looking forward to next year, though, Cameron. Buy Europe. Buy Europe. People keep saying buy Europe. I caught up with um, Mr. Oppenheimer at Goldman Sachs. And he said the same thing to me, Cameron. Buy Europe. Why is it always by Europe? Well, I'm not surprised you said 2017 then, because that was the call a year ago. Yeah, that's what it felt like um, to and, everyone I spoke to for months. And it it, it looked like it was going to work out quite well for a while there, but it's kind of come off the uh, come off the boil. The, I mean, the issue with buying Europe is essentially you've got to make a call not only on the domestic economy and the global economy, but also on the currency as well. Much like the UK. Um, a lot of the fortunes of European stocks seem to be dependent on the currency. And if the euro has another good year, then you might find that uh, the 
uh, European equity market doesn't do terribly well. You also have to consider that it's, you can't look at it as sort of a monolith, obviously. You have to, you know, if you break it down by sector, yeah. information technology is only 5% of the stock 600. And that is, you know, for better or for worse, where the action has been. And you have to, if you're saying that Europe's going to outperform, you essentially have to make a case why information technology is going to lag. And, and banks are going to And things like banks and industri I mean, industrials, it's easy to make the case for. Banks, maybe. Healthcare. Um, healthcare, eh. Yeah, I don't, you know, I they're don't the know. three big sectors on the uh, yeah, stock six hundred. Exactly. For anyone exactly. wondering what the weighting on the S and P five hundred is, just stripping it down on the Bloomberg, twenty four percent, almost twenty four percent. That's what tech accounts for on the S and P five hundred. Paul, if you're looking at Europe and asking why there's a perennial discount on European equities, just naturally you get a higher multiple on a growthy kind of sector like tech which is going to make it look like the S&P 500 is a lot more fully valued than, say, the stock 600 in Europe. That's a classic valuation trap, isn't it? Yeah, that's one of the one of the dangers that you can fall into. You know, I mean, coming back at what, what you two were saying about the performance, you know, if you're looking in purely in dollar terms, then the stock 600's beating the S&P by a couple of percentage points this year. So it's kind of, for US investors, yeah. Europe trade has been okay, provided that you've been brave enough to take it on an unhedged basis. Um, you know, but as Cameron was saying, I think the euro is going to be important. A lot of Europe's still kind of export-driven economy, uh, Germany in particular, with the, the cars uh, and other manufactured goods. Uh, but that also partly depends on the China growth story more than the kind of uh, the, the European growth story to a certain extent, because uh, a lot of Europe's manufactured goods go in that direction. And if people are worried that China is going to not, not have a hard landing, but cool some more next year, then yeah. that may be more of a challenge for the European manufacturers. Well, Paul, you mentioned the FX market, and I think it's really important this year maybe you wouldn't have been brave to go across from the United States to Europe unhedged because you would have been worried about a rallying dollar because that was the big call in 2017. Yeah. It wasn't just buy Europe. It was buy the greenback. It was buy the US dollar because things are going to happen like higher rates, fiscal stimulus, and a better economy. And a lot of those things did happen or will happen, yet the dollar sold off. As you look forward and you, you went through some of our forecasts earlier on in the program, where are people generally? Where's the consensus around the US dollar next year? Uh, I think, yeah, it's pretty mixed, actually, on the on the dollar itself, isn't it? I think people, the majority of people are looking for a stronger euro uh, through time. Uh, the ECB is eventually going to get to a point where it's no longer doing QE, and so that's going to be supportive. The yen, I think, is a lot of people's wild card for next year. Yep. Uh, a lot of people talking about, you know, could the BOJ start to loosen on its yield con curve control? That could push the yen higher as well. And if you've got the euro and the yen looking stronger, then that's going to, you know, kind of put some pressure on the, the, the dollar as a sort of trade-weighted kind of uh, uh, phenomenon. But on the other hand, you know, emerging markets, people are worried about emerging markets. If there is some dollar strength coming back in, then, you know, can EMs withstand that? Someone was talking to me today saying, looking at it, EM as an asset class is a bit outmoded. They were saying Asia should be just about fine, but watch out yeah. for that in America next year. But Paul, it just doesn't look like we're set up for that big directional trade that we had on dollar yen a couple of years ago through euro dollar. 
in the years after that and more recently on cable south um, it doesn't feel like we've got that directional trace set up in a significant way ahead of next year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the consensus is harder to find in a way, isn't it? I think, uh, you know, there's there's been some big moves this year as well, right? So, uh, but I, I, I mean, you know, I think stronger euro is the one that most FX analysts are going to be plugging because it seems like the most easy market to call. So that's the one they'll be wrong. <laughs> there we go exactly <laughs> that's, that's usually how this stuff works i don't have a position but every year around the fx market whatever the consensus is typically and this year a great example of that it's turned out to be a lot more difficult than people thought it might be at the beginning of the year hey paul really appreciate your time mate thank you very much for tolerating us from london um paul dobson bloomberg's very own tottenham hotspur fan good luck this weekend sir um thank you up next on this program i believe cameron christ is going to stick with us cameron you're going to stick I? around okay. or you're going to run away what do you want to do well what do you want me to do it's up to you we're going to find out we'll after, talk about it at the commercial we're, break we're going to find out after the commercial break whether cameron is still with us he might not be after i tease what we're doing next up next u.s taxes for the city of london this is bloomberg radio you're listening to the cable This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. Good afternoon, good afternoon to the City of London. I'm Jonathan Farrow. You are listening to The Cable live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. Can we keep this music for the market check? Thank you. All right. In in the markets, the FTSE 100 down at the close by four tenths of 1%. Across Europe, firmer by about a third of 1% on the equity benchmark in Frankfurt, Germany, up by about a third. In the United States, the Dow up 100 points, the S&P 500 up nine, call it a third. A bounce back after a four-day slide that amounts to a monster, negative seven-tenths of 1%. In the FX market, the dollar showing some renewed strain. The exception to that dollar strength rule in G10 today is sterling on the front foot. A stronger pound story emerging on fumes. And not a whole lot else. I was told today that there is no white smoke in Europe and Brexit talks. Cable, 134.28, up a quarter of 1%. In the bond market, Lisa Abramitz's world, she'll be weighing in in just a moment. Treasury yields are a little bit lower by basis point at 232, 233 on a US 10-year, also lower by basis point at the front end at 179 on a two-year note. All of this ahead of payrolls Friday. And looking at commodities after the route in copper, over the last week or so, a little bit of stability, up a tenth of 1%. On the LME and crude, firmer by over one full percentage point. Charlie Pallet itching to get back out of the studio. We're going to get through some top stories. And always itching, though, to be here with you guys. I appreciate that, Charlie. Uh, that means a lot. It, it is. All right. Genuinely, us... you're a really good liar. Carry uh, you on. Know, I appreciate that. <laughs> His nose is about a foot long now. <laughs> All right. Let me begin with Bitcoin, which has a knack. For moving higher. You guys missed that. My Sharona, Knack. I didn't miss it. I just ignored it. No, no, I missed it. I needed that. That was good. All right. So so Bitcoin Bitcoin touching $16,000 for the first time today. The world's biggest cryptocurrency surging on expectations that new derivatives products that began trading this month will boost mainstream demand. Ryanair Holdings threatening to freeze benefits for pilots in Dublin and move aircraft to other Irish airports if staff go on strike. And President Trump has meetings today with congressional leaders from both parties to negotiate a long-term budget deal. Congress preparing to vote on a short-term measure that would avert a government shutdown, a U.S. government shutdown, on Saturday. Latest from the news desk, Jonathan Farrow, I love you. Back to you. I love you too, mate. Charlie, that was really strong. Thank you. He's going to run away now. He's gone. 
All right, Charlie, thanks a lot. Lisa, good to see you. Good to see you too. Thank you. What have you been up to today? What's busy? Nothing. I just have been sitting and drinking coffee the whole really? day. What about you? No, doing the same thing. Yeah? yeah? Yeah. The bond market's interesting. Is it? Yeah, treasuries breaking down yesterday, yields lower. Fascinating, yeah. yeah. Well, I, you, don't I think, know. you don't think much of this flat curve business, do you? <laughs> well, look, I think that uh, people are, are, are killing it and, you know, just wondering, you know, do we care? Do we not care? Here's my 10-page expose about why uh, you shouldn't care, but I just spent all this time doing that. And I think that um, the big question is, in my mind, is the yield curve basically saying, to everyone in Congress, your tax plan is not going to do anything with respect to growth. We're going to have a uh, much more sluggish future than people are expecting. Yeah. And this could potentially risk upending the consensus right now, which is that U.S. stocks are fine and U.S. credit will be, eh, but it'll be all right next year. Or it's saying whatever you're going to do for growth, the Fed's going to kill it. Well, yes, that's, that's the other what thing. What do you think is more overdone? Conversations about flat yield curves or um, Bitcoin? Oh, well, probably probably flat yield curve because Really? Yeah, I do. Wow, I'm surprised. Bitcoin I think is less important for the market, but I think that it's just shocking that it's had a 50% rally, more than a 50% rally in the past 30 days. Yeah. And it sort of represents something that to me we have not seen in markets. You know that old saying on Wall Street it's only a bubble when you're not in it, Cameron. Well, it hasn't been a 50% rally over the last 30 days. It's been a 50% rally this month. This month. Right, right. This yeah, month. We're a, week, okay. we're, we're a week That's in. That's right. Okay. A... I thought I said this month, and I actually didn't believe it. So I just assumed that I was just wrong. It said 30 just days. Thank you. Thank you for the fact check. Uh, you know, and as for the 10-year, we've traded every single trading day yeah. since the beginning of November somewhere between 232 and 238 on the 10-year. What a range. Every single <laughs> trading day. So... But that's, that's, but that's my point, is that you can only talk about that so much, whereas this sort of meteoric rise of Bitcoin is compelling. I mean, who's, who's behind that? Is there real money in that? I, I don't know. So I was on Bloomberg TV today, and I've got a whole host of really educated equity guys, and, and Dave Wilson, you can weigh in. Um, and Tony Dwyer, accounting called Genuity, in the commercial break, gets a text from his son. After speaking about equities for about 25 minutes, given Tony's career, and how long it has been and how well he covers equities. His son just goes, Dad, you should have just bought Bitcoin. And his <laughs> son bought in at 10K. And I said, Tony, what would you have said to your son if he'd asked you, I'm about to buy Bitcoin at 10K? Tony would have laughed in his face. But these are the people making money from it. The Wall Street guys like Tony Dwyer, Canaccord, it's his son that's in this market. Tony's being sensible. He's been on, going on TV and saying, you know what, we're going to get a few, a few more gains from the S&P 500, Dave. But these guys are too cautious to go into the water that is called um, Bitcoin. Then again, you know, you've got futures coming in short order. And so you have to figure that, you know, those Wall Street types are going to be in this market, like it or not. Yeah. Given the fact that you, you'll be able to trade in a more conventional way, you might say, uh, the, the digital currency. So you know, you have to wonder what happens as the market gets transformed, sort of goes beyond its sort of grassroots and becomes something with, uh, you know, a plant, you might say, on Wall Street. Well, look, here's the question I've got, Lisa, and it's as follows. Typically, when a bubble bursts, you think about how it's going to spill over to other places. Now, if it's as it is now and it trades on Coinbase and the bubble bursts, then I would expect the only people that were affected are the people that are in Bitcoin, not the right. people 
elsewhere. If you institutionalize Bitcoin and put it on a platform like the CME, right. could this bleed into other asset classes in a way that maybe people didn't anticipate? Well, first, uh, even though Bitcoin has had this huge rally, it's still insignificant in the scheme of things at this point, right? Yeah. Uh, that's just number one uh, caveat. I think that there's an interesting question about posting margin on these futures contracts. And as uh, volatility increases, you have to imagine that the margin calls are going to be massive. So if, you know, there's a question about whether that itself, the margin calls, will be enough to tank Bitcoin, right? Whether, whether this could be what brings it down uh, rather than props it up. Um, but yes, there is a question of if there is insufficient collateral posted. Uh, it, you know, it really depends on the risk management of uh, these futures exchanges. I think that there was a really interesting story about a Bitcoin heist overnight, yeah. um, where about sixty million dollars, sixty-six million dollars of Bitcoin was stolen. Cyber <laughs> cyber heist. You can't make this up. No. But like the security and the uh, integrity of the underpinning systems is called into question by a lot of big institutions. And that's kind of a real deal when you're starting to talk about institutionalizing And, and, and then this. the price rallies $1,000 on the day, even <laughs> though there's been a heist. I mean, it's remarkable, Cameron. Well, the idea that anybody has an edge in Bitcoin is just farcical, okay? Uh, there's a story on the terminal uh, that's quite interesting that in the 24 hours ending at some point on Wednesday, more than a fifth, I think it was 21% of global Bitcoin volume was in, uh, executed in South Korea. Now, if you're going to call Bitcoin and you're going to call the supply and demand of Bitcoin, you've got to be able to anticipate what the South Korean retail trader is doing and not modeling their utility function. And, and that's not happening. So, you know, it's, it's fantasy. It's back to Harry Potter. Yeah. Cameron, thanks for right. staying with us. You're going to hey. stay with us again? Yeah, I'm looking I forward to the Quidditch commentary. There we go. There we go. Harry Potter up next. This is Bloomberg Radio. You're listening to The Cable. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. Good afternoon, good afternoon to the City of London. I'm Jonathan Farrow. You are listening to The Cable live on DAB Digital Radio. If you missed Cameron's earlier comment, have no idea why he's talking about Harry Potter. He's basically saying that covering Bitcoin at Bloomberg is the uh, equivalent of leading the national news with a Harry Potter script. Correct, Cameron? Well, I wouldn't say at at exclusively at, 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 at Bloomberg. I, I'm, I'm saying the idea, the reference was into a survey that my team is conducting and the fact that everybody uh, seems to be more interested in Bitcoin than, than anything else. Yeah. Um, you know, whenever a new Harry Potter book came out, you know, in a sense, you'd rather kind of read about that than, you know, about the war in X, Y, or Z country or the government mismanaging some other policy. But, you know, ultimately it's that other stuff that matters more to your day-to-day -day life. Than the uh, than the fantasy. Should we talk about the tax plan, um, Dave? Where Safety are fantasy. we? Where are we with the tax plan? Oh, still trying to get everything settled and the, the you know the coverage we've got out there. Really talking about how the promises that were made in connection with the what's happening in Congress just aren't getting filled. The idea that the middle class was going to get a break doesn't look that way. Uh, yeah. President Trump and his aides talking about how the changes won't cut taxes for the highest earners, and as we describe it in our story, statements that are demonstrably false. So, you know, we really don't know, in a sense, how things are going to shake out 
So the idea that you have this big unknown sort of hanging over the economy as we get to the end of the year, good luck trying to figure out what 2018 brings. Can we talk about something that a tax plan has done? It's made the Mooney market interesting, Lisa. Yes, 100%. Wow. I mean, look, it's a part of the global fixed income universe that I really don't spend much time thinking about Most or looking don't. at. Most people But don't. retail does because usually they're quite invested in it. It gives them some decent yield. It's tax exempt. And then this month, we had a massive bounce in issuance, Lisa. Yeah. A huge boom in issuance. Poised to be a record for the month of December. It stood, I believe, since 1985. Yeah. So, so, so give me the why and what's happening here. Basically, uh, there is a reason that uh, issuing debt now before the changes is more attractive to municipalities. I won't get into all of the details, but uh, basically they want to capture the benefits now and lock them in uh, before uh, January 1st when ostensibly the tax laws could potentially change. So they're issuing record amounts of debt. Interestingly enough, yields on those notes have actually gone down. <coughs> Because a lot of investors think the exact same thing, which is let's get in now uh, before issuance comes to a halt, which ends up propping up values. So do we anticipate <coughs> a huge scarcity in municipal bonds next year? Because essentially that's what investors are betting on, right? They're betting that this huge amount of supply, suck it all up now, buy them while you can, because they're not going to be around <laughs> next year. Is that going to be the way you look at this situation? Uh, it remains to be seen whether there will be some kind of provision to the tax bill uh, that will change it and make it better again for the muni bonds. Uh, you know, honestly, that is what people are betting on. Yeah. But you have to imagine how long is this bill? 500 and how many pages? And with how many scribbled notes in the margins that we're going to take and, it's and adhere to as law? Come January 1st? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, they've got to go to conference and work this out, haven't they, Cameron? Yeah, I mean, it's almost like they imported David Davis as a consultant on the <laughs> tax bill because it was all done at very, uh, very at the last minute dog ate my homework type stuff. Yeah. And yeah, they're, they're, and I, I think personally we're giving David Davis too much for hard well, time. Well, perhaps, perhaps. Can we say that it's per David Davis and Michelle Barnier that got together okay, and, and did this enough, tax fair plan? Enough, fair you enough, can fair. put Barnier in the house and maybe David Davis in the fair Senate. Fair enough. But I think the, you know, the larger issue is that to reach an agreement in the Senate, they included a lot of stuff that they didn't put a whole lot of thought in that may have unintended consequences like maintaining the corporate alternative minimum tax and the implications on foreign earnings and yeah. what that might mean. And yes, hopefully it'll all get sorted out in the conference, but there's still the issue of how do they, somebody eventually has to give up something and who's that, you know, who's that interest going to be? Okay. Cameron Christ sticking with us. Great to have him with us alongside Dev Wilson of Bloomberg and Bloomberg's Lisa Bramvitz. Next up on a cable, we'll preview the rest of your week ahead. It's all about payrolls Friday. So exciting. Check on traffic, weather and all the news you need to wrap up your day. This is Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow. Good afternoon, good afternoon to the City of London, live on DAB Digital Radio. Coming up over the next 24 hours, the US Employment Report drops. It's Payrolls Friday, just around the corner. The US Congress as well must pass a spending measure by December 8th to avoid a partial government shutdown in sports. We've talked about West Ham's trip to Chelsea or Chelsea to West Ham. That's a good question. Well, I you find Chelsea, out. I, I think it's Chelsea. You find West. out. It's I mean, East I, I, it's, London it's so versus West London. West London's got money. 
East London, not so much. Yeah, but we've got pie and mash. <laughs> and, and you've got pie and mash. Okay. Um, Dave Wilson, I understand it's a big game for you this weekend. Big game. Jacksonville Jaguars versus the Seattle Seahawks. You got a couple of teams that are eight and four. I mean, Shad Khan, after four bad years in Jacksonville, finally coming through with a team. It's all about their defense. And yeah. let's not forget, he also owns the Fulham Football Club. So he's a transatlantic yeah. kind of guy. And the Jaguars have been playing in London for like the last four years You've now. You've really so. sold that for our London listeners, Dave. Absolutely. And I should clarify, when I talked about money not being in East London, money being in West London, I'm talking about money at Chelsea. Um, talking about no money at West Ham. Um, that's where we're going with this. This isn't some class divide in the Premier no. League. <laughs> well, the good news is it is a home match. I should have known this, uh, and I thought it, but I, you know, I have to make sure. Except it, it's it, not your home, is it? It's no, not it's not. Park. No, it's, it's the, this, it's it's this the, weird Olympic yes, stadium up in Stratford. With, with, a, with, a, with a track around it. But the good news is that West Ham uh, is um, the... The odds I see, they have a 17% chance of winning, whereas the previous match at Man City, yeah. Man City, by the bookies, was deemed more likely to win 7-0 wow. than West Ham was to win 1-0. Is that because Man City's a better team than Chelsea, or is this because the bookies are saying, you know what, West Ham's got a better chance this time around because West Ham's a better team well, than Well, I think week. it may have something to do with how it feels, I can't verify this, but it feels like the last half dozen times West Ham have played Man City. They've lost by collective 100 nil. Yeah. Uh, so there's a history there. Headline cross in a Bloomberg. Um, the German SPD convention votes for talks with Merkel's party. Still don't have a government in Germany. No. No one's talked about it for about a week, Lisa. Maybe two. Yeah. What, no really, one cares. Do they need a government? <laughs> do investors need them to have a government? Evidently not. Apparently because not. there has been absolutely uh, no sell-off in German assets. In fact, uh, people seem pretty optimistic that everything is fine. Not only are stocks going to gain, but also uh, bonds are not going to sell off materially because even though things are good, they're not quite good enough for the ECB to take away the punch ball. So what, everything is awesome. What was that Lego movie? Everything is awesome. Yeah, is that right. No, yeah. No, yeah, absolutely. Okay, everything is cool when you're part of a team. There. Thanks, Dave. You made me feel so much better about life. Oh, so oh my God, I'm depressed. Somehow. You should do a segue now. <laughs> you should do a segue now about the U.S. government shutdown possibility and the uh, the funding for the government running out. But uh, no, please do. You do that for us. Thank you. Uh, well, ostensibly, uh, tomorrow is the deadline for the government to run out of money. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't actually work that way because they can do various measures, and they've already said in Congress that they're more interested in passing the tax bill than they are in allocating money to the government. So the Treasury will have to start cutting down on a few things <laughs> to make the money last, presumably until March, at which point then they'll address it. Dave, for our listeners in London who are sitting there thinking, what is going on in the United States and why do they make things work this way? What do you say back to them? I just sort of shake my head and say, <laughs> I don't know. know. That's sort of how these <laughs> this things is what, This work. is what we do here. We it, shut down the national parks once a year. Yeah, it's like the concept <laughs> of a debt ceiling, which you just don't find around the world, you know. And people have argued that we should get rid of it. It really doesn't serve any purpose other than to provide these moments of theater in Washington. Nonetheless, this is the situation we have. This is something we have to deal with. And, you know, you were talking about municipal debt earlier. Yeah. You should point out that the, the Treasury actually sells bonds to state and local governments. They're special securities to allow them uh, to refinance debt before it matures. And those sales have been cut off. So, you know, you're already seeing the impact to some extent of what's going to be coming up tomorrow. 
And it's just a matter of uh, as it goes forward, I mean, how long does it last? And does it really have an effect at this point? Yeah. Elisa, what are you doing at 8.30 tomorrow morning? Oh, I'm going to be on TV are looking you? at the jobs oh, report. Oh, so you're forced to watch the jobs report. Let's say you had a decision to make yeah. and you woke up tomorrow and uh-huh. someone said, Clear Slate, don't have to be on radio, don't have to be on TV. What would you do at 8.30 tomorrow? I would read to my son's first grade grade class. That's beautiful. You wouldn't look at the jobs report. I would not look at the jobs report. I'll be honest. The reason why is because I feel like at this point, uh, nothing seems to shake this market. And every data point is just another excuse for people to reiterate their big macro call for next year. <laughs> and so, <laughs> I mean, that's the truth. So so to me, it's sort of like, well, you know, either we're going to dig into uh, some idiosyncratic story that's fascinating or I'm going to go read to my, my six-year-old son's class. And what are you doing, Cameron, 8.30? You know what I'm doing. Come on. You're sitting there with a the terminal up, of aren't course. you? Of course. you're looking at the payrolls report. I would do that even... Is, is it more attractive, more redictive than looking at a Bitcoin chart? Oh, well, totally. I mean, I don't have Bitcoin on my screen. Uh, Ever? No. Well, Tell, I mean, you've checked in today. Give well, me a break. I, okay, occasionally I check <laughs> yeah, it. But literally, on, the only, the only honest, reason I be know honest, Be honest the, about it. The only way I know what the price is or that it's moving is that my Twitter feed, I only It follow, just lights up. I only follow like 50 people. And it lights up. And it still lights up. John, I have a question for you. Yeah. If you weren't on radio and you weren't on TV, what would you be doing? I, I, honestly, I'd, I'd look at the payrolls report and I'd do the same thing. I'd do every, every month I look at it and just go, yeah, again. Same questions coming up in about two minutes' time once Michael McKee's finished this hit. Then he finishes the hit, then I turn to Alan Kruger, typically on TV, and I say, so Alan, unemployment's really low, where's the wage growth? And then he um, says a couple of things, and he says it's coming, it's coming, and then we go to Bill Gross, and Bill Gross turns around, Fed's got to be careful here, (laughs) Fed's got to be careful here. But also, the Fed's not only got to be careful, but if we go through 240, we're in trouble on the 10 year. Oh, my God. So let me tell you, do you know what's coming up tomorrow? I'm going to be on Bloomberg Radio. Bill Gross <laughs> <laughs> alongside myself and Tom Keane oh on Bloomberg Surveillance when those numbers drop. And we're all going to turn to him. You know what we're going to say? It's the Fed got to be careful here. And he's going to say the Fed's got to be careful. And I'm going to say, where's the line in the sand for the 10 year? 240? He's going to go 240. What's, 240. what's the opposite of deja vu? Be careful like about, pre-vi- be careful about that. Be ca- Groundhog Day. Be Thank ca- you. Be careful <laughs> about that flattener. Be careful. Be ca- oh Fed's got to be cautious. Fed's I think John's um, a switch <laughs> has flipped. Yeah. Lisa Bravis, Cameron Christ, Dave Wilson. Thank you, guys. That does it for us. This was The Cable. As always, I hope we'll be back tomorrow. You're listening to Bloomberg Radio.